Welcome to Latinos Who Tech. My name is Hugo Castellanos. I'm an engineer and I work in Silicon Valley. I am originally from Caracas, Venezuela, and I've been calling the U.S. home for the last 20 years. When it comes to Latinos in the U.S., we are 60 million people, but we're only 3% of the workers in science or engineering. As a professional in Silicon Valley, I've had the opportunity to meet some remarkable professionals that work in the tech industry, Latinos like me. With this podcast, I want to bring you a collection of their stories and how they got a job in tech in the first place. And if they had to start all over again, what would they do differently? I want to share with you career advice on how to get a job in tech, how to deal with imposter syndrome, how to find your tribe when you're the only one in the room. This is Latinos Who Tech. This episode of Latinos Who Tech is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the world's premium platform for audiobooks with over 150,000 titles. If you're like me, you're passionate about learning new things, but finding the time to read may be difficult. Audiobooks are a great alternative. You can get a free 30-day trial plus a free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash latinos. Go and support them since they support us. Thank you. Tushka Zapata, welcome to Latinos Who Tech. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And I have been wanting to chat with you specifically for some time. So I'm really excited about being here. Oh, thank you for making it happen. Tell me a little bit about where we are and how do you get here to San Francisco? So you should know that everything that I have in my life that is good has happened as a result of serendipity. This, is a, this question is a really good example of that. I was working at an, at an agency, at a public relations agency called Edelman, and I met a guy who worked in the Italy office and I was working in the Mexico office. We met in Austin, Texas, and we fell in love and we started a long distance relationship for about five months. We were, according to us, incredibly discreet. And we were talking about how to make the relationship, like how to move it to the next level. Like we were living in different countries and we were like, how do we make this work for us? And um, as we were discussing what to do next, the CEO called us and asked us if we wanted to start a new life in California. So he hired both of us to run the Apple account in California. And that's how I ended up in San Francisco. And I've been here ever since. That's fantastic. It's a, it's a love story. There's always a love story if you look deep enough. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> love for someone, love for something, yeah. love for yourself yeah. at some point. Absolutely true. So you're Mexican. And tell me a bit about how you bring your whole self to work. I wouldn't know how to do it any other way. I work at a company I love called Zendesk. And I have a team of people that are also my friends that I hang out with after work. Um, if something is bothering me, I, I tell them right away. I've gone through a lot of personal things in the time that I've been here and they know all about it. I know about them. I know about their lives. Like I, I wouldn't know how to not bring all of me to work. I don't know how anyone would want to do that. And that's key. When you have it to really be, is. You have to be yourself. You have to be happy where you're at yeah. or you have to change one of those things. You, know, you can't really change yourself. Yeah, so you I, can change where you are. I also don't think that turning your life into different compartments works very well either. I, I, I don't have the time to like manage multiple personalities. I, I, I am who I am everywhere I go. And I think that if someone were to ask me, like, I don't know, one of the top three pieces of advice, that would be one of them. Just like keep it simple for yourself and just be one person wherever you go. Got it. So you are a communications expert. You are a writer. You live between these two cultures. 
this yeah. uh, U.S. culture, this Latina, Mexican culture. Tell me a bit about that, about how you, your, your craft and how writing is a part of your life. I've always been a writer. I have, my, both my parents were journalists. So I don't ever remember a time where I wasn't writing something that I was feeling, like ever. I, I think that the first time I ever learned how to write, I was given a diary and I wrote mm -hmm. in it every day. Writing is pretty much what I do everywhere. It's like what I do for a living, what I do for pleasure, what I do for fun. It's sort of my side gig. I write, I've written seven books, as you know, and it's just something that like really makes me happy. I, I feel like if I'm processing anything about any part of my life, it's through through what I write. And actually, a lot of what I write for personal reasons, like a lot of what I write for pleasure, a lot of my amateur writing is related to things that I learned about life that in some way helped me that I wrote down so that I wouldn't forget them. And then I post them on a social media site to share them and to see if they might be useful for someone else. And that is how I have come to write seven books. I collect what I learn about life that I find useful and I publish it. So when you see these ideas around you, when a random idea pops in your head or you're writing the bus to come to work and how do you capture those ideas? You mean like mechanically? I, I don't think that I capture ideas as much as I capture experiences. Mm -hmm. And what I do is I write them down right away. Um, I used to use a notebook and now I use the notes function in my phone. So I'm pretty much all the time taking notes. I, I think about things to write or something happens to me that I think I should write more about this or, mm -hmm. oh wow, I figured that out and that was useful. I wish I would remember it to do it next time. Things like that. Okay. And something I really love about the way you write and uh, is that you can post it, you post it in LinkedIn as a LinkedIn status or in Instagram with a picture of what happened. Yeah. And it, I feel like I'm there with you in a way. I feel like I'm riding the bus with you or at the waiting for coffee. I, like, I feel I'm there with you. Thank you. I, I think that my, I, that's a very, very kind thing to say. I feel like what I write is very, everything that I write is very immediate. Like it's something that I like just saw, experienced or like just felt or just saw. I, I feel like I'm a social media animal. Like I really, I really like this idea of like posting things in snippets and being able to share them right away. Like I feel like I, I'm very lucky to have these tools at my disposal where like, for example, my parents didn't. Mm. And both my parents wrote for articles on newspapers. And once you write something in a newspaper, it's been edited, it's been through a team, mm -hmm. it's like a whole other process. And the immediacy of this, the, as we say in, in where I'm from, a, a flor de piel, it's just like en caliente. You just, you, it sort of goes directly from your heart to, your, to the pen and directly to the people that see it. And I, I, I like that. And uh, you've written seven books, is it? Yeah, at, at seven the, books. And right here we have the latest one. Yeah, uh, this is actually the first one. This is the, the first one. The one that one. we have in front of us is called How to Be Ferociously Happy. And it's the first one and the shortest one. The books that came out after this one are twice as thick. This one is the, the more simple one than it's the first one I ever published. All of my books are just little essays. So you could open it on any page and read anything. And it's seven books and they're in no particular order so that you could buy any book at any time and read any essay in any order and it doesn't matter. Great. So I think that there's probably a natural arc of time if you read the first book first but mm -hmm. they're all the books are intended to be read in like little snippets of time yeah, like standalone exactly and like uh, if you stand in line you pull out the book and you read a couple of pages mm -hmm. you don't need to read the whole thing so it's perfect for my millennial attention span I, it was written by someone <laughs> who's not a millennial but who has a, a dramatically short attention span yes no yeah. i feel you i feel you totally tell me a bit about what you do at Zendesk, because I want to learn a bit more about the professional Dushka a little bit. Yeah, so actually, it's very similar to what I do 
um, on the side. Basically, I work with executives here to help them tell their stories. So I listen to what they have to say and I basically help them crystallize it in a better way. So in a way, I'm writing and I'm editing. So it's very similar to what I do on the side. I'm a writer everywhere. Got it. So going back to the be yourself, no matter where you are. Exactly. Like I'm, at, I'm at work, very, at very home, consistent. consulting, exactly. in your side hustle. Yeah, I think it's different because the things that I write for myself are more personal. Of course. And the things that I that I write at Zendesk are not about me. They're about the company. So that's what changes. I think that I'm a professional writer. I'm a professional communicator in the sense that I'm helping other people communicate and get their ideas across. But you know, on a personal level, when I write for myself, I write about things and experiences that I go through myself. Okay. And that I think, I, I don't know why no one told me this. Mm -hmm. I should probably tell other people so that it's easier for them. And that's when I end up writing it down and sharing it. So when you're coaching an executive here at work or as, as a consultant outside, mm -hmm. what's the first thing you do? When somebody tells you that, hey, I need to give a speech, I need to give a presentation, like, where do you start? Yeah, so if you told me that you had to give a speech, I would say, give it to me. I want to hear it, and I want to see where you're at and how you're doing. I think that the, my priority is to not make you sound like anyone else. I want you to sound like you. Mm -hmm. So I want to hear what you do, and then I make suggestions based on what I saw more than generic suggestions. So what, where I start is I hear what the person wants to say and how they say it, and then make suggestions that I feel will make them better at, what, at who they already are, rather than make suggestions that will make them sound like someone else. If you're going to give a presentation, you have to prepare, which sounds like really obvious advice. I, mm -hmm. I don't think that that's good advice for everyone. Got I think it. that a lot of people do best when they're winging it, when they're shooting from the hip. And I would not tell that person to prepare because then they come across more nervous. So I think that the people who do the best presentation training or coaching really take into account the person that they're working with more than any generic advice. So that I start with the person. Got it. So take your empathy, love, and crank it to a hundred, you know, so yeah. almost like a being very empathetic, listening to what the person's Yeah, but also is. like, how are they telling the story? Is it, would I be interested in that story? Is, is it like truly something that I would want to hear? Mm -hmm. What parts of the story are interesting? What advice can I give the person to get, tell the same story, but tell it in a different way so other people want to listen? You know, it, it just, it varies a lot. So I never really know what it is that I'm going to say until I hear the person. Mm -hmm. So I also think that the input that I have, the advice that I have for each person is very different because mm -hmm. everyone is different. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'm a strong believer that you can learn something new from anyone you meet. That is why every month I compile all the key learnings from this podcasting experience and summarize them in my monthly newsletter. I curate the resources we talk about, key learnings, books I'm currently reading, and give you recommendations on how to become a better Latino professional. You can sign up following the show notes or at latinoswhotech.com. Thank you. Um, how do you prepare then when you have to do something like uh, leading a panel or doing a presentation yeah. in front of 100 people? How do you personally prepare? For yeah, so I very rarely speak in public. I, I, um, I'm an introvert and it's not something that I, that I love doing. I, mm -hmm. I, I like being on panels more than I love presenting on my own. If I'm on a panel, I just think a little bit about what the subject of the panel is and like what it, what it is about it that makes it important to me. Mm -hmm. If I am speaking on a panel, it's because I find what I'm talking about important to me. I really stay away from doing things that I don't really care about. Of course. I feel like it has a big impact in 
my level of engagement and passion mm -hmm. and involvement. Um, and then when it comes to speaking alone on stage, I almost never do. I love that you mentioned the fact that uh, you're an introvert. Yeah. Because uh, it ties me directly into something that I'd love to learn from you, that yeah. how to thrive as an introvert yeah. in a um, work environment. A lot of the people that listen to this are engineering students, science students, engineering professionals that are, like us, immigrants. Mm -hmm. And we probably feel very comfortable in a Latino environment, you yeah. know, at home with my tios, tias, abuelos, abuelas. But then we come to work for these huge companies and, you know, there's not that many of us. So yeah. we might feel like fishes out of water. My first piece of advice is everyone feels like a fish out of water. I think that if you have 10 people in a room around the table, everyone feels like everyone is looking at them and everyone feels uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And that always helps me because anything that you feel is exclusive to you is actually a universal condition. And I think that understanding that gives you a lot of empathy, but it also gives you a lot of power because mm. you're not alone, even right. if you feel that way. That's number one. Number two is I, I have very paradoxical advice or very paradoxical things that work for me because I go out of my way not to give advice. How would I know? <laughs> but things that work for me. The first paradoxical piece of advice is I really try hard to do things that are in my nature and to not do things that are not in my nature. So for example, I will never go to a networking event. I will never like work the room because it's just not who I am. Mm. I would much rather meet you as I did on a mm -hmm. panel and then do something like this where I'm getting to know you better and we're talking one-on-one one -on -one. and that Got to it. me is a lot more valuable networking because then I get to know you, I get to understand you better. Mm -hmm. You're not like an anonymous face that gave me a business card at an right. event. When I look at it that night, I'll be like, who, who is this guy? So I network in a way that works for me, which is establishing deeper relationships with a smaller number of people. If I go out to dinner parties, I usually go out with people that are like a group of three or four. I don't go to 200 people parties. I'm just not, I don't like them. Of course. So that's the first piece of, of like what rules that I follow, which are I do what works for me. I do what's natural to me. I deeply accept and respect who I am. So that means that if someone says you're missing out because you're not going to the party, I go, no, you're missing out. I'm going home <laughs> and I'm super happy going home. So that's the first piece. The second piece is I always push myself to do what makes me uncomfortable. And that's why I say it's paradoxical, which means just because I'm uncomfortable doesn't mean I shouldn't do it. And I think that that applies more to, for example, if I'm in a meeting and I know that I need to speak up, um, I don't let my discomfort stop me. So I respect who I am, but I don't let who I am stop me from taking opportunities that I think are right for me. So if I go up to a person and I think that that person is going to be interesting to me or I want to talk to them and I don't feel like I can approach them, that's mm -hmm. the part where I push myself to approach them. But then if I'm going to go to a 250 people party and I know that the situation is going, isn't going to put me in a place that plays to my strengths, I'm not going to bother with that. I just, I feel like it's, I, I, I have learned with, with time and, and with age to just put my energy in places where it's going to be more, better, better spent. Got it. So where it actually moves the needle for you. Exactly. So the things that you can control actually act on them. Exactly. The things you cannot just ignore. Exactly. Just... And that, that, I think that there's a lot of things that people call networking that are just like not truly valuable. Mm -hmm. Like a, a good example of that is a net, let's go to a networking event. I'm like, I would never, I wouldn't be caught right. in a networking event. I just can't get, get any value. From yeah. It. And, and I feel like the that word networking catches a lot of flack also because I, I think of it as relationship building. Yeah. But you can't build a relationship if you're like, 
like looking over someone's shoulder as you talk to them in a room. Like that, that's just terrible. Yeah. And when I go into forums about pieces of technology that I like, when I go into podcasting forums, for example, yeah. and I interact with people there, I'm networking, quote unquote, because yeah. I'm having conversations that are in written form. But still, I feel like I have a network of people that I can rely on. Absolutely. You can also network not in person. Mm -hmm. I'm actually very social, but I'm, I expend a lot of energy if I'm talking to a lot of people at once. But I can sit behind my computer and network on LinkedIn all I want, like send people letters or notes or whatever. Mm -hmm. I meet or reach out to people online a lot more than I do in person. Right. Social media is actually made for introverts because it means that we can interact with people without having them in front of us. So the part that burns me out is the actual human interaction. Mm -hmm. If someone's on a computer, that doesn't tire me out. So maybe about Quora yeah. and what's Quora for you? Quora is a question and answer site. And to me, it's a site where I get prompts to write. So the questions are ideas on things I can write about. So things that I've written on Quora, I would not have thought to write any other way except that I saw it as a question. I find that it suits me because I like answering questions just like I like panels. Mm -hmm. um, but I also find it suits me because it gives me ideas of what to write. Can you maybe walk me through the process of, um, I mean, seven books, for yeah. God's sake. I mean, that's a, that's a lot. Again. A lot of times, and going back to this uh, attention span issue, I feel like a lot of times when I look at, oh, I have to write a hundred pages of something. Yeah, but Ugo, like it, it, it might feel like a bit draining. But I'm wondering, like, how do you do it? How do you like sit down and get so, cranked yeah, out? Yeah, so that that is the answer. What, what you just asked. The answer is in your question, and that is, I have never sat down and said this is a good time to write seven books. Mm -hmm. No one can do that. That is absolutely unfathomable. Mm -hmm. But I can write an hour a day or two hours a day, mm -hmm. and suddenly, if I write two hours a day, at the end of the year, I have a book. I am very, very disciplined. I have mm -hmm. habits that I stick to and I get up every morning at four and I write for three hours before I come to work. And I write from four to seven every single day. And I, every six months I have a book and I've written seven books in the past three years. But I would not be able to write a book if I set out to write a book. That, that's just overwhelming. It's very easy for me to write for three hours a day. But if you, if you think three hours a day is a lot or waking up at four in the morning is crazy, like I respect that, but then write an hour a day or half mm -hmm. an hour a day. Yeah. People who are in a constant state of paralysis because they feel something can't be done don't realize that the difference between I can't do that and I can is 10 minutes a day. So for whatever, for writing a book, for getting in shape, for running a marathon, mm -hmm. for whatever, whatever it is that you think you can't do, mm -hmm. whatever it is that is overwhelming you can be done if you break it down in sizable chunks. So do write that email, write that first page, take that first walk. Yeah, exactly. I think it was Lao Tzu who said, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And it's so true. Just a step at a time, a day at a time. There's a beautiful quote by Einstein, who, as you know, was a physicist. And the quote relates to physics, but I think it relates to everything. And he said, time exists so that not everything happens at once. And it's so fantastic. And I think it's true. I think that mm -hmm. time exists so that not everything happens at once. And whenever something is overwhelming or you think that you can't handle it, you think just one day, one day at a time. Got and that's it. how I've written seven books. I have never, ever said I'm going to write a book. <laughs> I've said I'm going to write an hour a day or two. And I love writing and it makes me happy. So for me, it's three hours a day. And that to me isn't hard. Got it. And, and the, I think the beautiful part about this is that a bit of generic advice they give you is that always start with the end in mind. But but no, like you went back and you were like, what's the minimum thing that I have to do that could maybe eventually get me there? Exactly. You no, know, so maybe like writing a hundred words a day. Yep. Or going yeah. back going back to like the networking thing, maybe talk to one friendly exactly. face at the office yep. every Friday. Here's the most powerful notion in the world. Everything you do every day accumulates. 
So if you talk to one person a day, at the end of the year, you have 362 people that you made a meaningful connection with. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot. Mm -hmm. But that's how you um, make friends, meet new people, write books, get in shape. Like I said, run a marathon, you know, swim across the English Channel. Like just what is it that you're going to do one day at a time? One day at a time. And it's incredibly powerful. So tell me where can people find you? A lot of places. I think the best possible way is Quora. Dushka Zapata into Mm -hmm. the Quora search field because that's where I write the most. Pretty much everything that I write on other social media channels, like Quora is the repository where everything Mm -hmm. lives. And then I I take what's um, right for careers and I post it on LinkedIn. And then I take more personal things and I post them on Facebook, but everything lives on Quora. And then my books are on Amazon. All of them are available on Amazon. Awesome. Anything else you'd like to add to this audience of Latinos that have careers in technology and want to be better professionals? Actually, yes. Um, I want to say something. A lot of people ask me, you know, what it's like to be a woman or what it's like to be a Latina. I'm from Mm -hmm. Mexico, as you know. Um, And I would say that I think that we are all much more than the labels that we ascribe ourselves to. Mm -hmm. So if someone says you're an introvert or you're Mexican or you're Hispanic or you're Mm -hmm. a woman or you're in tech or any of these things, I I would say that all of these things are true. But I would also say that I'm a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. And I think that focusing on the fact that we are infinite is a lot more powerful than focusing on the fact that we're any one thing. I can't add anything to that. I mean, that's a because that's a constant struggle for me. Because uh, oh, you're Venezuelan. Oh, I'm sorry about your country. Hey, thanks. I appreciate it. Can we concentrate on the task at hand? Yeah, <laughs> kind of thing. So it's like it's a dimension of who I am, yeah, but it's not but we who are, I am. But we are multidimensional. Of course. Exactly. I mean, because exactly. I'm, I'm an engineer. I'm yeah. a podcaster. I also, uh, you know, I have a girlfriend. Then I have yeah. friends. Which is and, the same as my introversion. Yeah. I am insanely introverted. It, it, it has been through the years something that I have just learned to manage because. Because when I get tired of people, I shut down. Um, You saw me at a presentation where I said, after I'm done here, I'm going to run off the stage and I'm not going to talk to anyone, which is exactly what I did. And I've learned to just like be really open about it and tell people how I feel. It's not that I don't like you, but I'm just going to walk away from you because I'm exhausted, Mm -hmm. things like that. But I'm also incredibly social and I also really like people. And I've just learned that the fact that I'm an introvert doesn't mean I'm not an extrovert. And the fact that I'm Hispanic doesn't mean that I'm not American and like a lot of other things. So I think that, you know, embrace the fact that you are infinite and that will get you a lot further than um, deciding where it is that you belong. We belong everywhere, all of us. Yeah, which is, by the way, the name of my last book. You belong everywhere. (laughs) We belong everywhere. We'll put that in the show notes so people can check it out. Yes, excellent. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. Muchas gracias. Gracias a ti.